This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law, this morning, we're talking about copyright law with our guest, attorney Stacy Lantang. What do you want to know? Are you a musician, an artist, or a writer? If you have a question about your copyright law rights or what the law is, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 877 672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. And I'm always excited to have Professor Stacy Lantain on, on the show because uh, her topic is so interesting. And she actually is a published author herself. So she you know, understands this from both the creative side and also the legal side. Well, we are glad that uh, Assistant Professor of Law, Stacy Lantang, uh, is with us. She's practiced intellectual property litigation with a focus on copyright and trademark matters, including a number of trade secret and deceptive advertising cases. Welcome to our show, Ms. Lantang. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're, you know, Mississippi seems to be such a, a, a fertile place to grow and for writers and musicians. So uh, hopefully there are a lot of listeners out there who have questions about how to protect their creations. Yeah, there's a great literary tradition here, lots of awesome music, musical history with a lot of awesome musicians. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to some great calls. Well, let's just go ahead and, and jump right in. What is a copyright? A copyright is um, it's a form of legal protection over um, creative works. So everything that you think of as being creative, like a song, a book, a poem, a play, a piece of choreography, um, a television show, a movie, all of these types of things um, get a limited monopoly, basically, is how we view it, that you have the right to do as you wish with your copyrighted works. The copyright belongs to you, the creator. Um, as it starts when uh, originally there are some like weird exceptions to that but generally if you have created something you automatically have a copyright in that and you are protected um for the rest of your life plus 70 years after that so it lasts a really long time what are some things that a copyright does not protect so a copyright doesn't protect ideas so sometimes, um, sometimes we get callers who say, I have, I have a great idea for a television show, I have a great idea for a book, 
And the problem is that copyright doesn't protect ideas. This this is why you may have noticed all of our television shows sort of are the same, right? <laughs> like it's because no one can own the idea of a crime procedural, right? But everyone owns the particular expression of their idea. So NCIS is slightly different from CSI, which is slightly different from Law and Order, and that's what all of those television stations are owning. But you cannot own the idea itself, just the particular expression of it. So the words that you choose in your book, the characters that you choose for your television show or movie, those would be your particular expression. And that's what's being protected, not the idea itself. Well, we knew that this would be a popular show and we already have a call uh, from Jackson. Jeff, welcome to In Legal Terms. Hey, how are you doing? We're doing great. What is your question for us, Jeff? Well, I've had a small business for a while now, and I, I basically need to see about making sure my name is protected and uh, on there, and just to see the best way to going about it. Also, uh, there's so many different ways on the website to have your your company name, and what's the best way to make sure it's protected so that nobody else can get it? Yeah, so that's a great question. So actually, you're worried about trademark, the trademark body of law, um, because trademark protects... Uh, commercial uses basically so the brands that you use your business name stuff like that that's trademark um, you get trademark rights by using your business name so right now you're already building trademark rights so you are protected already as long as you started using your name before other people who might come into um, this the same geographic area or the same business as you if you want um, a little bit more protection, you can apply to register your trademark um, either on the state level or on the federal level. The United States Patent and Trademark Office will, will give you a trademark on those things. Um, and that gives you a little bit more extra protection, but trademark rights attach through use. So having the registration doesn't mean anything as long as you keep you have to keep using the trademark. Having the registration, you lose it if you stop using it. So as long as you're in business, you're building up those rights. As far as your website goes, it's kind of up to you what domain name you want to use for your business. Um, you would want the domain name to match your business name, ideally, right? Like you, you wouldn't want something that doesn't use your business name. But as long as it's some iteration of that, that that's a good thing to do. It keeps your branding consistent. Um, if other people start using other versions of your brand name in their websites in ways that are bad faith, in your opinion, there are um, steps that you can take to fix that that don't involve going to court. Actually, um, we have what's called the Uniform Dis Domain Name Dispute Resolution Proceedings, which are governed by um, the terms and conditions that you enter into when you register a domain name. And that's a private arbitration proceeding that's actually pretty easy to um, go through. So if you have that situation, you can Google UDRP rules and like a really nice explainer comes up that walks you through how to do something like that. Um, it needs to be like a bad faith situation and people are going to be confused and that kind of thing. But it gives you some level of protection around your domain name that doesn't require you going into court, which is a lot easier for a lot of people and a lot cheaper. Okay. Jeff, does that answer yeah, your question? Basically, out of Arkansas is where my business is, actually. But uh, I had a letter, or actually an email, sent to me some at one point uh, from a company in Washington. And they had the same name as my business. And basically, they wanted me to shut down. 
but I actually, my business name had been older than theirs. And in the meantime, they actually shut down, even though I'm a much smaller business uh, than they were. And uh, I know that it is available now, and I just wanted to make sure to get it. So that would be the best bet to do it through the national trademark uh, through Washington, D.C., I guess. Yeah, so um, if you get if you get a federal trademark registration, that does give you nationwide rights, even though you're only in Arkansas. Um, the rule is that if if you are the oldest, though, you generally get some rights in the geographic area where you are, even if you were late to register it. And frequently, courts will be like, "Well, they're in Washington State, and you're in Arkansas, and it's totally okay. You can you can be fine together." But if you get a federal registration, um, that does give you nationwide rights it's sort of it's searchable so everyone can kind of go onto the patent and trademark office website and look and see oh yeah there's a business by that name in arkansas maybe we won't get that because someone else already has it that's the the thinking of what would happen there and um yeah if you if you want the domain name and it's available go for it right okay well i think and the last question is you know you don't want anybody there are several other people trying to use the name currently now Try to find out the best way to go about making sure that they're, you know, not trying to get up and rolling with your same name as well. And we've built a, you know, literally a 20-year reputation and just want to make sure it stays good because you never know what will happen if somebody else does it. They get, get you mixed up uh, with their business. Yep. Nope. That's exactly why we have trademark rights to protect that investment in your good name and your goodwill with your consumers and make sure that other people can't steal that or tarnish it on you. So um, you're, you're right to be worrying about that. That's why trademark law exists to protect you from that. So, um, so you can use your shield. That's what it's there for. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for your call, Jeff. And once again, this is a popular show. We have a lot of creative uh, individuals in the Mississippi area. And so now we're going uh, to Jackson. Bert has a question. Thanks for calling in legal terms, Bert. Thank you. Say, for instance, I had a picture of a notable person who's deceased now and his estate and his daughter says that they have the rights to that particular image and they don't, you can't have them. Say if that person was someone like, uh, for instance, Elvis Presley, and Lisa Marie says she is the controller of his image, of his records, of his music, and of everything, and of any photograph of him. Does she have the right to do that? Um, so there's actually a separate body of law that's at issue now, which is called right of publicity. So um, she does not own the photograph's copyright because the copyright of a photograph belongs to the photographer. So okay. whoever took that photo owns the copyright. However, okay. um, right of publicity is the right of a celebrity to protect their identity from commercial misappropriation. So it started as sort of a way to make sure that you don't, your, your image isn't used to endorse goods that you haven't endorsed, right? Like you don't want to turn on the television and all of a sudden you're selling yogurt that you didn't ever, and you hate yogurt, right? So yes. it's supposed to be trying to protect that. Um, it differs from state to state. It's a state law thing. Some states don't let it survive death. I feel like Elvis Presley's right of publicity is still alive, that it was allowed to survive his death, but I have not researched that specifically. So um, my understanding of the limits of right of publicity law is that um, they can control what you are doing if you are doing it for commercial misappropriation. They can't stop it if it's for news reporting or commentary or parody or any of the sort of like First Amendment-based um, 
things that that we worry about because he's a public figure. But um, it, it is my understanding that uh, you can't profit on Elvis Presley's image, that those rights belong to the Presley estate. So I couldn't, it couldn't be sold to an individual. A picture of him could not be sold to another individual. Um, the photograph itself, you could probably sell to another individual, I feel like. Um, I, you would need to do, you would have to talk to someone who's going to do a lot more research into this. But in my view, that's different than commercial misappropriation. But someone's going to have to look and see what exactly the precedent is on that. But selling one, the, the one copy of the photograph individually, if you have the copyright to that photograph, I think you are allowed to sell that photograph. Yeah. There's a difference between that, though, and then selling it for... Um, use on magazine covers and, you know, uh, television shows and commercials and, and that kind of thing. To me, that seems like it would be a difference. Again, I'm not um, a huge expert in, in right of publicity, but um, that, that seems different to me. If it has been used by another entity and utilized in, um, well, it be in a news function rather than a commercial function, but if it's been distributed by one agency already, would that negate it? Um, no, because that agency might have had permission. I'm not really, I'm not really sure. But you don't lose your right of publicity by not pursuing it in certain circumstances. It's that's not how that works. So they are allowed to sort of selectively pick which ways are they feel are most harmful to them. May I ask one more question? Mm -hmm. If you have a collection of photography that existed and was done in the past fifty years. I'd say maybe 100,000 images. How do you copyright all that? So it's all automatically copyrighted as soon okay. as the photograph is taken. So you already have a copyright on it. Okay. Um, if you want to go to court, however, on any of this stuff to protect these things, you need to register the photographs with um, the Copyright Office, the United States Copyright Office. It's actually a fairly easy process. It's like a very quick one-page form that you fill out with what everything is. Now, if you have 100,000 things to register, that's that's clearly a lot to try to get across. Um, there are ways in which you can register collections of works, and so you can register the entire collection. Um, but to be to be super safe, I personally would, would prefer to have each individual thing registered. Now, granted, I hear you saying that that's going to be a lot, um, but yeah. you already have a copyright. And so really the registration, what the registration entitles you to do is to sue in court. You have to have the registration before you can sue someone in court. Um, right. And so, so that's I don't see anybody goes. that I don't have to sue, but I mean, I'm just thinking about the, my, my life work. Right. Yeah. No, you, the, the copyright exists. It's just, um, it's sort of, it's sort of a potential because you can't go to court on it. So if you do get into a kerfuffle with someone about it, there's really nothing you can do until you register the copyright. Would my estate have to do something about it after mm -hmm. my death? Yeah. Because, um, copyrights survive you as you know, and they're passed along just like any other type of property is inherited. And so, um, yeah, that would be, that would be now a problem for your estate to worry about. Yes. <laughs> okay. Terrific. Thank you very much. Thank you for your call, Bert. When we come back from the break, Chris from Mobile will take your call as we continue our discussion of copyright laws. You're listening to MPB's In Legal Terms. We'll be right back after this break.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you miss any of our program, we want to remind you that you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app, as well as all of our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our guest today is attorney and law school assistant professor Stacy Lantang. This morning, we're taking your questions about copyright law. Well, Professor Gershon, uh, do you what uh, uh, what do you think about our discussion so far in our Mississippians here? That's great. These have been great questions. And, I, you know, like I said, whenever we have Stacy on the show, it's always a, a great, lively discussion. And I just sit back and listen because I learned so much. In fact, we were talking a little bit during the break about, uh, you know, if somebody takes a photo from Facebook and puts it on Twitter and, you know, maybe that photo was copyrighted. Uh, when it was on Facebook, you know, what do you do? How do you get that cat back in the bag? And it sounds like it's tough to do. So I'm just going to listen and shut up. Well, for uh, we love to have our advice shows be a vehicle for people to ask questions. When our show goes online, we will have uh, some additional websites. I know there's copyright.gov, which has uh, frequently asked questions. So those of you who can get to a computer after the show is over, uh, if we didn't get answer your question or you just want some general knowledge that we're not able to cover, we'll try to have some uh, links to where you can get extra information. Uh, But now we have another call on the line from Mobile. Chris has called in to In Legal Terms. Thanks for calling, Chris. Yes, ma'am. Uh, thank you, Stacy and Mr. Gershon. Great program. Uh, the question for Stacy is: uh, I've been a songwriter for many, many years, and uh, I, I would uh, try to submit, and I have a, a publisher, and I would get like ten songs together, and and we did what we call we do what we call a country boy copyright, where we would take the ten songs, which you you never expect, you know, all ten to go number one, <laughs> number one hit, so. Uh, and instead of copywriting each one individually, we put put them together with uh, some sort of media, like on a CD, and then with the lyric sheets, and put them in a manila envelope, seal them up very, very well, take them to the post office, and register mail them to yourself right there, and get that date stamp on it from the post office, and never open it. Leave that as a sealed um, uh, a packet of what we would call the country board copyright. And then it has submit, you know, the song catalog to uh, the publisher or whoever, and then they could choose, pick and choose any or none or all of the songs. And then, of course, separately copyright them as they decided to put them on uh, record. I just my question is, does that co- that country boy copyright by 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 sealing that envelope with that with that um, with that creative work in it and having it stamped like that is that that legally stand in court? So um, what you're really doing with that is um, making sure that it's clear what date you had written all of this stuff on, right? So really what that does is it it gives you a date in which this thing was in existence. The reason why that's important is because um, 
copyright allows independent creation. And by that, I mean that if you write a song and I write a song simultaneously never having met you on the other side of the country, that's cool. We can both own copyrights in that song. And so often it really helps to figure out which date was the song in existence because maybe you can try to prove that I had heard it somewhere, that I had driven through your area, that I saw it on Facebook or something. So really that's what is being accomplished with that sort of country boy copyright or a poor man's copyright, as I've heard it called. Um, That has become much less important in the digital age because now all of our digital files are already date stamped for us. So it's really easy for us to prove when things were in existence because we have metadata that shows, hey, I wrote this file on such and such a date and it was before I ever saw your file, therefore I'm safe, right? I can't get in trouble for copyright infringement. Um, So you you need to do that a lot less if you're creating digitally. And really you never need to do it at all because your copyright is automatic and that's not bestowing any rights upon you to do the country boy copyright. You already have the rights. It's really just helping you to prove that you wrote the thing when you say you wrote the thing. And that can be difficult sometimes, right? It can be he said, she said. So it's helpful to have that proof. It's just of diminishing importance now because the way we would prove that is we'd just go to court with our computers, right? And say, hey, look, here it was on this date. And and that would be the end of the of the debate, but that's really what that was accomplishing in times gone by. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, thank you, Stacey. That's good information. I appreciate it very much. No problem. So if the date you take, you know, as soon as you take your picture or that you write your book or you write your song, you have the copyright on it. Why do you need to register the copyright? You can't go to court without um, a registration. So while you have the copyright, if someone infringes upon it, your um, your course of action after that is to sue them for a copyright infringement. And you can't do that unless you have a copyright registration in hand. So that would be why you need to register your copyright. Um, and you might be like, okay, so why does anybody register a copyright then until they have to sue someone? The reason is they put incentives in there to encourage you to register quickly. So your damages are greater. You can get more money from people if you have registered the copyright before the infringement starts or within a couple of months of the thing being created. Um, It also serves as prima facie, what we mean is like on the face of it, validity of what you will have. So it's easier for you to stop someone else if you can walk in and say, I have a copyright registration for this. Instead of just saying, I wrote that song, it's mine, it often looks more official and helpful for you if you have the registration stamped and in your hand. And if you do have that, then you're ready to go and you can go to court. And that's that's the main advantage of the copyright registration. And no offense to our lawyers, we always like trying to avoid going to court. <laughs> I understand that. It's useful, though, to avoid that, too, because it's it's... It makes clarity in the dispute if you have the registration in hand and can say, this is exactly the work that we are fighting over and here it is registered. You know, let's talk about how you need to stop what you're doing because the other side never wants to go to court either. Well, this is all well and good in uh, Mississippi and in the United States, but what about, is your copyright good in other countries? So um, we are, the United States is a member of um, an international convention on copyright law called the Berne Convention. And so if you, if the country is a Berne Convention member, which there are hundreds of them, over a hundred of them, then yes, your copyright is protected in 
other countries. Um, you need to sort of look to make sure that the con the country where you're going is in fact a burn convention member. And of course, some countries are better at protecting copyrights than others, as we just know anecdotally. So there is that to worry about. But um, typically speaking, you do have protections. We are members of international treaties that that are protecting you and other countries. And this is why um, sometimes, you know, like the, the United States government can go into like Australia and extradite people who are engaging in piracy in Australia because we have these treaties in place that allow us to go in and and stop that. And um, so so that's how that works. All right. Well, when we come back from the break, we'll talk about what what does the copyright protect? And we'll also talk about whatever you would like to ask. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert, and we're joined by our guest, attorney and law school assistant professor, Stacy Lantang. This morning, we're talking about copyright laws. So so we've, we've taken our photograph. We've written our song. Um, if we decide to, and it is because we've done that right then, it is copywritten. So what does a copyright protect? So a copyright protects um, a series of what are known in the law as exclusive rights that belong only to the copyright holder. So you are the only one who has the right to copy. Um, the thing that you have created. So if you want copies of the photograph made, you are the only one with the, with the right to copy that. You are the only one with the right to distribute the photograph. You are the only one with the right to publicly display the photograph um, or to publicly perform the song that you have written. Um, there's a series, those are there's like a series of, of exclusive rights like that. Those are the major ones. There are, of course, important exceptions to all of that. So I just said, you're the only one who can copy. You're the only one who can distribute these things. Um, but U.S. law has a doctrine called fair use. And what that means is that certain other people in certain limited circumstances have the right to also um, use your work um, usually to provide some kind of commentary, um, like criticize it or parody it. Um, some kind of scholarship is another common fair use thing. Educational purposes is another common um, fair use thing that we allow. So there are circumstances where um, other people are allowed to 
to do things with your work. But generally speaking, you are the one who gets to make decisions about whether you want to sell it or don't want to sell it. It's actually not required, as I think we all know, that you exploit your copyrights. We're all taking photographs constantly these days, right? Like our society is you're taking a photograph and every time you take a photo to put on Instagram, you've got a copyright in that stuff. Very few of us are ever going to commercially exploit our Instagram feeds. That's cool. We still have copyrights in it that protect um, us from other people commercially exploiting our Instagram feeds. So if Professor Gershon created a uh, a cute Internet meme with a cat with a, a saying, if people pa- passed that around, it would be infringing on his copyright. But maybe he uh, wouldn't mind that. But if someone started making money off of that, he could... Uh, uh, start charging for that or at least uh, get right. into some legal issues about that. Right. And there are all sorts of, because you are the one who gets to control your copyright, if he takes a photo of a cat and makes a meme out of it, um, he theoretically could think to himself, I'm going to license this for everybody to use as long as they're not making money off of it. But as soon as they start making money off of it, there is no license, so I can sue for copyright infringement. That's actually a fairly common thing um, that, that people on the internet who are thinking about these things do. It's, it's, you can just say, uh, I'll, I'll license this for you if you want to do you know, nonprofit stuff, you want to put it on your blog, you want to put it on social media, but I'm not going to license it to be used in a magazine or, or something like that. And so because you're the one in control, you can choose how you license it, who you license it to, how it gets used because it's your copyright with the limits, of course, that you can't really stop people from making fun of you, right? Because that would be part of fair use. Um, parody is protected. And so one of the things to think about in the context of internet memes is, well, but if people take his meme and change things about it to make it a commentary on something else in some other way, which is a thing that happens a lot with internet memes, um, then that seems like maybe it's going to be fair use no matter what he thinks. He's not going to be able to stop people from... Um, altering his meme in order to make some kind of commentary. All right. Well, and a lot of people have things to say about our copyright episode today. And so now we're going to Port Gibson. Linda has a question. Thanks for calling in, Linda. What's your question for In Legal Terms? Yes. Um, I have. I take pictures of, like, the historical things here in Port Gibson. However, uh, I'm trying to get like a copyright, I took a picture of a magnolia just off of a street. I'm trying to get copyright. Oh, how do I get copyright for that? And um, I also was given a picture to make copies of. However, I looked on the back of the picture. It was copyrighted, and I tried to call the people, but they never uh, returned the call. It's just like a uh, it's a dump for, you know, just to leave a voicemail. Can you help me? So um, for your first question, if you're taking a photograph of Magnolia, you already have the copyright as soon as you take the photograph. Um, if you want to get it registered so that you have a copyright registration certificate so that you can go to court more easily or something like that, um, you, copy, you, is it copyright.gov? I think it is copyright.gov. Copyright.gov has um, is the U.S. Copyright Office's website online, and they literally have a link that's like, register your copyright, and there's a form. The forms are divided according to which type of work you have, so it'll be like photographic work, um, and you can click that, and you can fill it out. It's, it's a very short 
form to fill out. It's really just like name. And I took a photograph of Magnolia and then I sign it and then you send it back in with some amount of money. So that's how you would go about getting the copyright registration. Your second question um, is actually a fairly huge problem in copyright these days. It's what we call an orphan work problem, which is that the work is still under copyright, but we can't find anyone to claim it. It doesn't belong to anyone, so we can't get the rights to do things with it. There right. is no nice solution to that, unfortunately. Um, we in this country keep the works under copyright. We don't say that they've lost their copyright because we can't find the people who it belongs to. It's problematic. It makes life difficult, especially for things like libraries and archivists and stuff like that. Um, so I have no good solution to that. Um, one of the things I would say, and this is what helps libraries sometimes, is if you're making the copy for archival purposes because you, you, the photograph's deteriorating or something. Um, no, I would be I, making the copies. Uh, I would be making copies of it to uh, distribute within the merchants here in Port Gibson if they would sell it. Let's see, I got to get copyright. Yeah, to sell it would be. Um, complicated because the the state of the law is that you don't have the right to do that because you're not the copyright holder and the copyright holder didn't give you the right to do it. So um, unfortunately, I, I have no good response to give you. What I can say is you can call your U.S. representatives because they're discussing the orphan work problem in Congress frequently. So they might they might be able to come up with some kind of solution for us there but right now we don't we don't have a good solution to this problem unfortunately so you said it's the orphan work project it's well, it's orphan work is what it's called yes a work that doesn't have an owner yes that we can okay. find right well, thank you so much for uh, answering my questions yep no problem thank you linda for calling in and we also have a call from bill in theodore thanks for calling in bill what's your question about copyright today on in legal terms uh, question is, I'm doing a lot of uh, PowerPoint presentations of, of a historical nature. And most mm -hmm. of these are done for a library or a, maybe a school or a church or something like that group. And I can get permission for a lot of the photographs that I use, uh, but there are a number of them that, that are on the Internet that are just, um, you know, exactly what you want to use in your presentation. How big a problem is that for me? <laughs> so um, this would this is part of the doctrine of fair use, which was what I mentioned before. So um, fair use allows you to use copyrighted materials without the permission of the copyright owner, which would be your situation if you find stuff on the internet that you think would be perfect that you want to use. Um, fair use is very case by case fact-specific inquiry, so it's really hard to predict outcomes. But I can say that the state of the law right now is that one of the most protected things that we do with fair use is educational. So um, I make PowerPoint slides to use in my lectures, and I tend to take photos if I need them and put them in there for purposes of, of educating my students. And I personally feel I'm okay because I'm doing it for educational purposes. What I do tend to do, just because I think it's 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 good practice, is I'll say where I got the photo from so that people know I'm not representing that I took the photo. I, don't, I just think that's a polite thing to do. Um, but educational purposes tend to be 
um, protected. Now, where do you cross the line from? Like, not everything is educational. Just calling something educational doesn't make it educational. Those are that's 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 why I have a job because <laughs> we spend a lot of time reading those cases and trying to figure that stuff out. But that's that's what the law says. All right, so it's fair use is what we're talking about. Right, fair use. Yep. All right, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. So, um, Attorney Stacy Langtang, we're so glad that you're here speaking with us about copyright. Um, Google, if uh, if someone wanted to get an image off of Google, one of the search tools is usage rights. They have labeled for reuse with modification, labeled for reuse, labeled for non-commercial reuse with modification, labeled for non-use, uh, non-commercial reuse. Um, that, that would be a good practice to, if you wanted to, reproduce the photograph in some type of uh, a website or something that you're using, that would be a good way to ensure that you aren't stepping on anybody's toes? So if if you have the photograph, um, a good practice is if you're going to put a photograph on the Internet, um, if you want to put right there what your limits are and what you allow people to do, like I will allow reuse for non-commercial purposes, not for commercial, that's a good practice for you to get in the habit of um, if you are really, really super freaking out, concerned, putting a watermark on the photograph is also a good way to try to diminish people doing stuff with it. That said, getting a photograph off of Google is is very, very difficult. Google has fair use protection for its Google image search. It's considered to be um, it's considered to be a fair use because it's for research purposes. So. They're just pulling images off the internet, as you know, and when you Google image search, they show up. And um, just asking Google really nicely to take your photo down, that, that's not going to work. And in general in this country, um, we have so far not been fans of excluding information from Google's searches. Google's argument is that they are trying to give us a complete picture of information on the internet and informational purposes are are important to um, American values. And so the, the American legal system tends to not be a fan of it. That said, internationally, they are much bigger fans of um, what they call the right to be forgotten, that you should be able to to take stuff that you don't want in searches off of the internet. And Google is currently engaged in trying to fight um, some rulings out of like Canada and Europe that um, would make Google have to do different things in different countries, which Google obviously doesn't want to do. So that's that's going to be a fight in the future. But right now, as it stands, if you're going to put an image on the internet, it's going to show up on Google Images. And if you are trolling Google Images, looking for images to use, yes, be careful. Every single one of those images, well, not every single one, because maybe there's some public domain, really old photographs that are out there, but most of them are going to be copyrighted in some way. And you should be careful with how you're using them. You might be protected by fair use, but you might not in other circumstances. And, and just use with care and know that there are rights that are at issue. I think people on the Internet frequently are just like, oh, it's the Internet. Everything's free. Not really. There are rights on the Internet. Maybe people are not choosing to enforce them against you right now, but you could run afoul of them. And so be aware that they, they do exist. And Stacey, it seems like YouTube is also... A place that now is they, they've really started to crack down on copyrighted material and not allowing you know like movie clips and things like mm-hmm. that to be shown 
Uh, so people, I think, have to be careful with YouTube yeah. as well. In fact, it's interesting about YouTube, though, because they just lost a major case. Um, well, it wasn't really YouTube, but it was a copyright case about people, um, YouTube video makers that were using copyrighted clips. And, and the copyright holder asked YouTube to take it down, and YouTube took it down. And the um, video, the people who had uploaded the video were like, but this is fair use protected, and they won. And so... You should watch out for that, too. Um, there are many, many high-profile circumstances of people who the um, academy, the, the intellectual property academy, thinks is very clear as fair uses that are getting threatening letters from copyright holders. And um, so, you know, if you feel like you are doing something out of fair use and you get a cease and desist letter, um, there are resources out there that you can try to um, take advantage of. There are like lawyers for the volunteer lawyers for the arts and the Electronic Freedom Foundation, and there's there's places out there um, that are trying to sort of help out with issues like this on the internet because copyright holders, believe it or not, shocking, will try to grab more rights than they actually have off of you. And so YouTube is trying to cooperate with them. They have to under the state of the law currently, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily did anything wrong. And we've just had a ruling saying that. So, yeah. All right. When we come back from the break, we will take an email question about uh, copyright online. We'll also get to uh, Maggie from Brandon. If you have a question, we have a few minutes more left in our show. In legal terms, we're talking about copyright laws. So if you have a question about copyright laws, our guest attorney and law school assistant professor Stacy Langtang will answer your question. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you have missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash terms. It's also available on the MPB Media app as well as all of our local shows. So as you're getting into the car, out of the car, if you miss some of a segment, please be sure to go back and listen online. You can listen as a podcast. Uh, I know sometimes our shows are covered up with weather alerts or other things, and you may miss part of the show that you are interested in. Please go online and listen, and also uh, sometimes our producers will put any extra information online. Like, I certainly will put the uh, website for uh, copyright.gov. They have frequently asked questions, and as our guest, Stacy Lantang, attorney and law school as, uh, assistant professor for copyright, has told us that's where you can go to um, uh, register your copyright. Is that the right term? 
Yes. Okay. So yes. now we're going to go to the phones. Uh, we've got a couple of calls. Brandon, um, calling from Brandon is Maggie. Thanks for calling in legal terms. Yes. Good morning. Uh, I have two cases of uh, copyrights that I'm interested in uh, for two different organizations. One, a number of years ago, I digitized records from microfilm that had been taken from the Bahamas for the University of Florida. And uh, I gave them the digitized copies of the microfilm. And uh, I think they later let people come in and copy those CDs that I gave them, uh, which I didn't feel there was any problem with because at the records, while I had digitized them, I, you know, the records weren't mine originally anyway, and they were mm-hmm. public access records as far as I was concerned. The second case was I digitized records for a church in Florida. And I was told at that time of the pastors that I was not to make copies or, or do anything with those records and put, post them on the Internet or anything like that, which I never did. But I put on the CDs in case other people went into the church and tried to copy the CDs in, ta- in their entirety that they were copyrighted. Now, I never registered a copyright on those. But the formats of those records were my formats. I created the records in Excel. They were all done by hand, so nothing was scanned. What is what is the situation with one or both of those situ- those uh, instances? So with the with the microfilm being digitized, um, I think that your instinct is right. It sounds to me like. Um, that was either something whose copyright was owned by the University of Florida and they allowed you to digitize it for them or was a public domain material, in which case your digitization um, wouldn't necessarily pull that out of the public domain. With the records for the church, one of the things to think about is um, when I was asked what doesn't copyright cover and I said it doesn't cover ideas, another major thing that copyright doesn't cover is facts. So to the extent that the record consists of just facts, no one can own that it's sort of the the fact that you know no one owns the fact that there are 50 states in the united states of america and so no one owns the fact of how much money the church made that particular year you're right that um your arrangement of those facts in the excel format could be original enough to be copyrighted um and so that is something that you could have a copyright on but it would be sort of like a thin copyright right it can't extend to the underlying facts so it's really going to protect you mostly against like verbatim copies of those things um to the extent that there is any copyright at all um you didn't have to register a copyright to to tell people that it's copyrighted if there is a copyright it existed as soon as you um arranged the facts into the arrangement that you chose um so so that's that's how that circumstance would work that answered my questions. Excellent. Thank you, Maggie, for calling in. And now we'll have our last call uh, will be from Canton. It's Gary who has a question. Thanks for calling in legal terms, Gary. Go ahead. Hey, thank you. Look, uh, when did um, copyright start? I remember looking at these TV shows about Little Richard and Pat Boone and stuff like that. So when did it start? And It probably started after that, but I just want to know when did it start. 
So it's very interesting. Copyright is actually very old. It started originally in, I think, 1709 in England was the first copyright statute. And copyrights are mentioned in the United States Constitution at the the first, it's, it, there's a copyright clause. So we've actually had copyright in this country since the 18th century, basically since we started, but it has been expanded. So obviously when it was first um, created, it didn't cover television shows. It just covered books and maps and things like that. And then every every few decades, we have amended the copyright law to include new forms of technology and creativity that we have. So in 1909, we had a big copyright act come in and that added, you know, photographs and, and phonographic recordings and stuff of that nature. Our last major overhaul was in 1976 and that added like sound recordings and stuff like that. So there was copyright, um, at the time of the old television shows. Now, um, the term was much shorter back then, so they weren't under copyright for as long as they were. And there were all sorts of different formalities. It was a very different world before 1976. So there was a form of copyright. It didn't look a whole lot like what we have now, but the basics were still there, that it was protecting creativity. All righty. Thank you much. Thank you for your call, Gary. And uh uh, professors uh, here at MPB, one of our benefits is our radio reading service where we do read copyright materials, but uh, we get an authorization from them uh, saying that uh, because they are blind pr- or print impaired, uh, we're able to read that with them. And I guess that falls under fair use. Um, there's actually a special exemption for for that, for making um, for making works accessible and um it's something that we've been working on yeah fantastic well thank you so much uh we've had attorney and law school assistant professor uh stacy lantang on our show that's wrapping it up for today's in legal terms to hear today's show or a previous show please visit mpbonline.org slash in legal terms you can download the mpb media app and listen to uh, your, on your smart device on demand. Our call screener today has been our intern, Jared Hallman. Our board engineer has been Jay White. For Professor Richard Gerson, I'm our producer, Liz Gill. Up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy Show, Relatively Speaking. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.